Today's passage is taken from St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, starting at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it casts light over all the people in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome again to the St. Michael's service. My name is Amy and I'm usually a member of our evening congregation, um, but today I have the immense pleasure of speaking to us all on this incredible passage that we've just heard read to us. Um, so let's pray before we start. Father God, I just want to pray that you would speak today and that I would stay quiet. Let us hear only your words, Lord, and guard us from anything that is not of you. Show us, Father, what it means to be salty, bright, reflective people. Amen. So we're at number two in our series on the Sermon on the Mount and today we are talking about salt and light. Um, two really familiar, really ordinary things in our lives but absolutely vital images um, for our Christian faith. And whether you've heard this passage a um, million times before or it's all new to you, um, there's always something in it and it's really important for us to look at it and see what does this actually mean in terms of being a follower of Jesus. And if you didn't catch Sam Banner's sermon last week, I would really recommend that you go and have a watch of that, because um, that really sets the scene and sets the groundwork for where we are today. So Michael Green calls the Sermon on the Mount um, a Christian manifesto of the kingdom. It's a little bit like when a prime minister gets elected and they stand up in front of the media and in front of parliament and they say, this is what the UK will look like underneath my leadership. Here, Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God looks like under me. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And Matthew has front and centred the sermon in his account of the gospel. And it might be um, that it didn't all happen um, right at the same time, but he's put it together um, so that we can read it all together at the beginning of Jesus's ministry so that we know this is what it looks like. This is the Christian manifesto of the kingdom. This is the first picture that we get of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And what do we get? We get salt and we get light. So what does that even mean? <laughs> Honestly, there is tons in this passage and I feel like we could spend all day pulling apart the different images. Um, but I'm gonna suggest that we focus on three key elements. Number one, Followers of Jesus are intrinsically distinctive. Number two, followers of Jesus are visibly involved. And number three, 
followers of Jesus are wholly reflective. And I'll unpack those a little bit more as we go on. So number one, followers of Jesus are intrinsically distinctive. For both salt and light, um, it's their intrinsic makeup, the qualities that make them salt and light, that cannot be separated from what they do. Salt literally cannot be made unsalty. It's not possible. The only ingredient in salt is salt. You can't separate saltiness from salt. You'd have to perform a chemical equation and then you'd get sodium and chlorine and you wouldn't have salt at all. That's why Jesus says it would be no good. It would be worth throwing out because it's not possible. Similarly, the intrinsic quality of light is the illumination that it gives. You don't turn on lights for any reason other than to see better. It is absolutely absurd to do, as Jesus suggests, turn on a light and hide it under a bowl. It's the total opposite intention of light. As I'm sure most of you have, I've been having a lot of Zoom calls at work and it turns out that the camera on my laptop doesn't really, really struggles to see me because of the light in my room. The combination of windows and spotlights um, results in me basically being a black silhouette on the screen, a little bit like an anonymized interviewee. So I went out to Argos one day and I bought a desk lamp so that my colleagues could actually see my face. But it turns out that the lamp I bought doesn't actually have a pivotal head. So instead of illuminating my face, it creates a greater shadow and plunges me further into darkness. Super frustrating, the total opposite intention, not working as a lamp at all. So Jesus is talking about intrinsic qualities. He's talking about our character. We should have the intrinsic qualities of salt and light. Who we are and what we do should be intrinsically combined. We need to both be and do salt and light. So what's special about salt and light? What are those characteristics? Again, just gonna pull out a few things that make them distinctive. First of all, flavor. Um, I don't even remember, Walkers used to um, produce these crisps called salt and shake. I don't know if they still do them, but it was basically a bag of plain potato crisps um, and the salt came in a separate pouch and you had to tear off the pouch and put it into the bag and shake it up. And to be honest, it felt a bit like Walkers had just skipped a step in the process, um, but it was fun to shake the crisps around. But if the salt didn't spread evenly, um, you could tell when a crisp mixed out, missed out because it was really bland compared to the other ones. Salt is flavorful. It's a distinctive flavor and it's really obvious when it's there. Also purity, there's a purifying element to both salt and light. The Jews used to use salt um, to purify food and to purify it for sacrifices. It had a holy quality and it marked food out for sacrifices as holy and different. It marked them out as distinctive. Similarly with light, we talk about shedding light about on the subject, illuminating something, bringing it into the open. Light is a holy image. It's associated with goodness as opposed to the dark which hides evil. Just think about the good and bad guys in Disney films. The good guys are always clothed in light, whereas the bad guys always hide in shadow and darkness. And so as salt and light, as followers of Jesus, we should be intrinsically distinctive, full of God's flavour and set apart for his purity. So number two, followers of Jesus are visibly involved. 
Back in 1997, um, Mark Green carried out some research um, on the impact of sermon, impact of sermons, and found that for many people, sermons were interesting but irrelevant. And his research suggested um, that the reach for sermon was largely limited to a church building, and the further away people got, the less impact it had on their everyday lives. And that is despite the fact that, according to the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, about 98% of Christians spend 95% of their lives on what the LIC calls the front line. That's in everyday life. That's in shops and schools and workplaces and offices and gyms and sports clubs. We can't not be involved. We are involved. And Jesus makes it clear that we were never intended to be cut off from the world. We're never meant to be removed. He calls us the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We're a lamp on a stand, a city on a hill. These are not shy, private, cowering images. These are public, visible images, and they're there for the world to see. Salt is no good on its own. You've got to add it to something to get the most out of it. Nobody wants to eat a spoonful of salt, but the right amount of salt sprinkled on a great meal can transform it. That's why we keep it on the kitchen table, right? So it can be added to any dish. You don't hide your secret, your favourite ingredient in the cupboard, never to be used. You add it to everything you cook. You mix it into all your favourite dishes. It makes everything better. My younger cousin thinks that's ketchup and I do actually disagree with her. When you buy your Christmas tree and you cover it in lights, you don't hide it in the cupboard under the stairs or put it in the back bedroom that nobody uses and only houses your Lego collection. You put it in the living room, you put it in the dining room, you put it in the hallway, you put it where everyone will see it. On the eve of his crucifixion in John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples and prays that God would protect them and keep them faithful. And he specifically says... I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. As you send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Yes, we're different. Yes, we're distinctive. And yes, our character is shaped by something else other than our own hearts. We should be full of the flavour of God, as I said before, and we should be set apart from his purity. That's what Jesus was saying. But we're not to remove ourselves from everyday life. No, Jesus calls us to get stuck in, to be in the messiness of life, and in doing so, to sanctify it. So we have intrinsically different, visibly involved, and finally, followers of Jesus are wholly reflective. The temptation is to end this passage with, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds. And think, okay, cool. Jesus wants me to do a lot of good stuff and get a lot of credit for it. And that's fine because, well, everybody will see what I'm doing and, and see that I'm really good and that'll be really great. Like a child desperate for their classmates' praise and affirmation, we will happily take credit for the work we produce without actually acknowledging the teacher that taught us everything we know. Humans are selfish and we want to take the credit. We want to be seen, we want to be acknowledged. I know that I do. But the verse doesn't stop there. Jesus actually says, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. 
we're not meant to get the glory for anything that we do or anything that we are. All our saltiness and all our light is meant to point towards to God. It's all to show his character and his nature because it is Jesus that is the true light of the world. And we are reflecting that. The only reason that we can be salt and light on this earth is because the true light of the world walked it before us and made it possible for us to walk in his footsteps. Because he died for us and reconciled us with God, we can live in his light, becoming more like him out of love for him, merely a reflection of his light. Because you see, there's nothing in this passage that Jesus sets out that he didn't do himself. He was intrinsically different, full of purity, totally blameless, full of God's flavour, totally visible, marked out as different. His ministry was full of grace and love and truth. God as man on this earth lived out what it means to be salt and light. And we need to look at his example and see him. Because we can live that out too. Not because it's our purity or our flavour that makes us distinctive or different or visible. It's not my heart. It's not my grace that propels me. It's his. It's Jesus's. And because I know that, he can get the credit for the way that I live my life. If people see me living differently, they know that Jesus is my sole motivation or they should do, and he gets the praise and the glory for that. I wish that I could tell you that I did that perfectly, but I know that I don't. If anything goes right, I probably, um, Jesus will get the praise for this sermon. And you'll give that to God. So we have intrinsically distinctive, visibly involved and wholly reflective. But what does that look like? How can we apply this? Does that mean being kind to the person that I work with who's immensely irritating? Yes, I'm afraid it does. Does it mean forgiving my spouse or my housemate after they grind my gears all day when we've worked from home together? Yes, I'm afraid it does. Does it mean including those who are excluded on the fringes of church or a social group or a work um, outing because maybe they're a bit different? Yes, of course it does. And does it mean telling those who don't know about the good news of Jesus that he died for them so they can be reconciled with God and have eternal life with him? Yes, absolutely, of course it does. But I think this passage goes slightly further than the examples that we readily call up. Let me be clear, all of those things are absolutely essential. Telling people about Jesus, loving those in our immediate circles around us is totally vital. And that is absolutely what Jesus is calling us to do. His ministry was characterised by grace and love and mercy and telling people about the kingdom. And so we should, of course, do the same. But this is a kingdom manifesto. Like I said, it's a whole of life calling. And I think there's more to the kingdom than we readily see. You may have heard about um, American representative John Lewis, an American politician and civil rights leader who died last month. Born on a cotton farm in Alabama, Lewis became a leader in the civil rights movement alongside Martin Luther King in his early 20s. He organised marches, demonstrations, sit-ins to gain African Americans greater civil rights. 
He was spat at, arrested, beaten, and yet he stood alongside those who were oppressed, fighting for what he believed was right. In the 1980s, he was um, elected to Congress, and instead of using that opportunity to further his own agenda, he dedicated his political career to fighting poverty, prejudice, and injustice. And many years later, in 2009, Lewis was actually approached by a former member of the KKK who had beaten him bloody at a sit-in. And this man was asking for Lewis's forgiveness. And so looking into the face of his persecutor, Lewis embraced him, full forgiveness given. Because you see, as a committed Christian living out what it meant to be salt and light, Lewis once said, hold only love, only peace in your heart, knowing that the battle of good to overcome evil is already won. You see, I think Jesus is asking more from us in this passage. It is no coincidence that the command to be salt and light comes right after the Beatitudes, where Jesus blesses the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the pure in heart, the merciful, the peacemakers, the persecuted. Dallas Willard says that in the Beatitudes, Jesus turns an upside down world right side up. And in our passage today, Jesus calls us to do that same thing. Because you see, being salt and light is not just the everyday activities, although it is absolutely that. It is also bringing the justice of God's kingdom to this earth in every way possible. It's yearning for and fighting for and seeking out the merciful justice of God for the poor, the oppressed and the marginalised. It's about being socially justice-minded, anti-racist and loving the downtrodden as Jesus did. And it's about doing all of that, knowing that the true light of the world has already come and will come again, not just to give a manifesto of his kingdom, but the fullest picture. Obviously, we won't all be elected to Congress, but there are things that we can do to bring God's justice here now. We can all challenge behaviours in our workplaces, social circles and even our church, which marginalise and exclude people from different colours and backgrounds. We can all write to our members of parliament about the injustices that we see in our communities and abroad. We can all seek out organisations or people who are operating on the front line, if that's not where we're called, and support them. What is it for you? Where is God asking you to go further and push more into the justice of his kingdom? For me, it's about checking the ethical record of every retailer that I buy my clothes from. I'm trying really hard to only shop in places where I know the workers are treated fairly and are not exploited. And if you want to do that too, I can really recommend the Good Shopping Guide to help you do that. But it, you might do that already and it might be something different. Ask Jesus what it is, because it cannot just be the responsibility of others. It is our responsibility too. Because when the kingdom finally comes in its fullest sense, we will see full justice, full peace, full reconciliation. And so we can walk that way in our everyday lives, reflecting the light of Jesus Christ, the true light of the world. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that because of you, we can be salt and light in this world. Thank you that because you came before us, we can follow in your footsteps. 
We pray, Lord God, that you would show us where you want us to be salt and light in your world. Reveal to us your role for us so that others might see our good deeds and only praise our Father in heaven. Amen.